This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by HelloFresh and by Raycon. Billionaire tech CEOs are fascinating in their own very specific ways. And for Mark Zuckerberg, the fascination stems from the very robotic, uncanny valley way that he presents himself publicly. I mean, all these guys have a persona and personal brand that they've built. And for some reason for the Zuck, that persona is a robot and or alien wearing a human skin suit, trying and failing to pass itself off as a normal, relatable human. The man can't even grill in his backyard or go surfing out in the ocean without giving off extremely unsettling vibes. And that's just the Mark Zuckerberg that the Zuck chooses to share with the world. Behind the scenes, things get even weirder, like the time Jack Dorsey visited him for dinner and watched Mark Zuckerberg slaughter a live goat in front of him and then cooked it into something so unappetizing that Dorsey refused to eat it. Uh, well, here's some new Zuckerberg lore that's not all that surprising. In the early days of Facebook, he used to walk around the company's office wielding a katana and threatening employees with it if they underperformed. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. Mm. Uh, here's next shark. A former Facebook employee has claimed that Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg once wielded a katana sword at the office after getting frustrated with his employees' code. AppSumo CEO Noah Kagan uploaded a 13-second video on TikTok on June 19th listing weird things that happened while he worked at Facebook. Kagan shares at the start of the clip that he was the 30th employee at Facebook, which was founded in 2004. According to the entrepreneur, Zuckerberg brought a katana sword to the office and waves around because he, quote, didn't like the code and the stuff we were putting out on the website. The video, which has been viewed over 50,000 times, had some commenters calling Zuckerberg a weeb, a term that pokes fun at a non-Japanese person who has an obsession with Japanese culture. He's Kay a weeaboo. Yeah, uh, Grandma's Boy was a documentary. Yeah. Uh, Kagan also talked about the katana in a book that he published in 2014, saying... He had some great motivational lines. With love, he'd say, if you don't get that done sooner, I will punch you in the face. Or, I will chop you with this huge sword while holding a huge sword in his hand. To this day, I don't know why he had that sword. Probably he, for the threats. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a threatening aura. It was a different time for businesses to be run. Clearly it worked because Facebook went from, uh, you know, just a little operation out in Palo Alto mm -hmm. to the uh, horrible monstrosity that it is today. I'm sure you can track the downfall of Facebook with uh, the putting away of the ceremonial yeah. katana. Yeah. yeah, that's probably someone should look into that. Uh, anyways, none of this is hard to imagine, but uh, thankfully with the power of Crayon, uh, formerly known as Dolly Mini, and that's Crayon with AI right there in the middle, we can see exactly what Mark Zuckerberg wielding a katana looks like. And yeah, that is uh, scary how much it can reach into your brain and pull the exact image out. It looks exactly like we imagined. Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a big, sharp katana, it's scary no matter who's holding it. I mean, if we're talking about a terrifying samurai warrior uh, gazing into your soul, that's scary. But a robotic tech CEO with no capacity for emotion or empathy, mm -hmm. honestly, even scarier if you ask me. Yeah. Slightly more dangerous. He could. Because uh, the, the, the samurai will make sure that you are dead. Yeah. Uh, with a person who is not completely skilled with it, you could just be uh, inadvertently tortured for an extended period of time. Plus, the Zuckerberg knows how to kill. He's killed animals. This sounds like he food. saw uh, the timing works out, too, where he got a, he got some money from Facebook uh, getting big, saw Kill Bill in theaters, yes. and was like, you know what I want? I'm done with this mall ninja shit. I'm going to go get myself a Hattori Hanzo. It's uh, real Japanese steel. Yeah, that's the thing. So you get a little money, you go, you take your mall ninja shit one step further. Yeah. So that's probably what happened. 
Who are we to argue with results? I mean, the results don't lie until the inevitable downfall of Facebook, uh, which we're currently living in. Um, so I hope that trajectory keeps going. But speaking of owning katanas, let's move on to some news about birth control. Mm. So it might even be like not even be legal birth control for much longer. if Things keep going the way they are. Yay. But uh, as we talked about a few months ago, male birth control pills might finally become an option in the near future. In fact, there were recently clinical trials of two pills that show a lot of promise. Uh, getting the pills to actually work involves a you know, very delicate balance, reducing testosterone levels just enough to suppress sperm production, but not enough to cause all the various negative side effects associated with low testosterone. So it's tricky, Yeah. So but I it's also, that doesn't mean that the, the lady birth control pills don't have all sorts of side effects as well. That's right. Uh, so after 28 days on the pills, 75% of the trial participants said that they would do it again, which is pretty remarkable. Also interesting is the fact uh, that of the patients who were given a placebo, only 46% said they, they would take the pill that again. That was horrible. Yeah. So their sperm production was totally normal for a whole month, and they hated it, apparently. <laughs> I'm a monster. I'm horny all the time. <laughs> this sucks. Uh, anyways, Insider spoke to three men who have participated in similar male birth control studies who had positive experiences, and here's one of them. Storm Benjamin was scrolling through Facebook when he noticed an ad seeking participants for male contraception trials. The 31-year-old musician in Seattle doesn't want kids and had often heard from the women in his life, including his long-term partner, about the downsides of their birth control methods like acne and low libido. Quote, It always comes up that there's no hormonal male option, and that's just always sort of been in my head to some degree, he said. When the ad popped up, he thought, it's something I could do to help get something out there into the market. So after responding to the ad and undergoing screenings at CRRC in 2018, Benjamin was sent home with an advent calendar of pills to take every day for 12 weeks after a high-fat meal. Past research has shown that one of the compounds included is more consistently effective when taken with sufficient fat. He visited the clinic about once a month to provide semen samples and undergo basic testing. He was compensated about $1,500. The results aren't yet public. Benjamin said he didn't experience any negative side effects. Quote, if anything, I did get this feeling after I would take the pills I can only describe as like mild euphoria and relaxation, which was really strange, he said. The researchers told Insider that could be a reaction to the synthetic hormones included in the drugs. Benjamin said one downside was that each dose included five or six big pills, which he hopes would not be the case if it is the market. All That's these... smart, though. You put a little ecstasy in there and, uh, yeah. Everyone's you're really gonna, stoked You're going to come back for more. Yeah, it's... Uh... Maybe there's something to the fact that everyone's like, I would do this again because all of those delicious high-fat meals. Yes. Uh, finally, an excuse. Ah, oh, geez, I guess it's steak again tonight. Oh, sorry. Well, you don't want to get pregnant, do you? Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, Insider also spoke to a guy who has participated in multiple pill trials over the last several years who says the only side effect he noticed was gaining two to three pounds. Well, that makes sense with the... Uh, the high-fat meal that you have to consume. <laughs> yeah, it's probably from the meals. Uh, another guy who has been participating in various birth control trials for over 20 years and used pills, gels, implants, and injections had no complaints. What all three of these guys have in common, though, is that they all talk about having a lot of empathy for their partners and wanting to lessen their partner's birth control burden and also a desire to move the science of male birth control further along. Uh, these, are, these are good dudes. Uh, and if male birth control becomes widely available, it will appeal to similarly good dudes. For everyone else, it might take a little bit longer to catch on. Yeah, um, but I'm excited for when it does come out, and um, you know, all the all the dickheads who are already like, no, I just I need 
with the condom, I can't feel anything. You're like, all right, well, why don't you take the male birth control pill, which is widely available? Like, duh, uh, but like, but you know, I, you know, I need that testosterone because like for my, for my bodybuilding. It's like, you're a bodybuilder? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? what? You get to bulk up by eating high fat meals every night yeah. with the birth control. I think the guys are, the vibes are immaculate with the testing guys because it's very clear that they're constantly getting laid. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh... Yeah, my life's pretty great. It's awesome. Pills or not, I mean, everything's going really well. Yeah. What if I told you I'm on experimental male birth control and have been for 20 years? And I need it because <laughs> I'm so frequently getting laid. Yeah. Um, I would I would have uh, hundreds of kids by now if it weren't for these trials. The thing is, is I, I believe people like who are on the Supreme Court and politicians and that would be in control of something like this, they are actually waiting for this so that they see it as a good opportunity to ban all birth control. Yeah. Like, uh, actually, no. No birth control for anyone now. Now this has gone too far. We're, we're playing God. Yeah. <laughs> You're literally aborting the sperms before they even leave the balls. Yeah, it's it, this is the the doorway they walk through to ban female birth control by also banning the male one. Yeah. You use male birth control, I charge you with, uh, you know, the murder of thousands for every ejaculation. Millions. Millions. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going away for a long time, buddy. But uh, hey, speaking of male birth control, let's talk about cryptocurrencies. Hey, da, 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 did it again. Uh, so we've got several crypto and crypto adjacent stories to cover today. But speaking of downfalls. But let's start with an update to last week's story about how Radio Shack is not only not dead, but it's tweeting out some uh, really cool stuff, actually. Not like the kind of stuff that other more boring brands tweet out. Radio Shack's actually, they're a cool brand. They, they tweet out stuff like, due to inflation, six inches is now nine inches. Woke up feeling rough, but remembered I put a stripper's kid through college last night. We all good. Just took an upper decker at Applebee's. Ask me anything. And of course, if you find a squirter, marry her. The last one about squirters is what got most people to notice the new side of Radio Shack. Just a wonderful brand that's back, baby. And uh, they just obviously wondered what was what is going on here. And also discovered that Radio Shack is basically just a crypto company that also happens to uh, sell electronics as well. Uh, Input Mag actually managed to reach out to the person running Radio Shack's account to learn more about this brand pivot. And here's some of that article. Radio Shack now counts some 400 retail stores in the U.S., down from around 5,200 in 2014. It has inevitably gotten into cryptocurrency, too. Radio Shack Swap, the firm's crypto exchange platform, allows users to exchange one coin or token for another. The company also has its own token, Radio Coin. And to boost its profile, the Shack is channeling the finest internet shit posters. Quote, you really have to make an impression in order to basically get known with youngsters, says Abel Zupor, Radio Shack's chief marketing officer, who declines to share his age with input, but claims to have seven years experience in marketing. Quote, right now, we're still kind of figuring the voice out, says Zupor, whose LinkedIn page says he joined as CMO in April 2022. You can get a good idea of the age of this person by calling people youngsters. You would think. Yeah. You know, if you want to get the whippersnappers into the yeah, radio show. The youngins. Yeah. And yet, Zupor doesn't give his age, but based on photos of him in the article, uh, well, he does appear to actually be pretty young. He's got that sort of ageless thing going. It's yeah. it's hard to tell. Possibly in his 20s, which, look, yeah, that's that seems about accurate for someone with seven years marketing experience who probably counts uh, high school yeah. uh, dances, uh, making flyers for that as marketing. Right. Well, it's fine. <laughs> uh, he seems to be living the dream. As a Zoomer, this is the best you can hope for. You yeah. get the shit post on Twitter uh, for the 
salary of a chief marketing officer. Hell yeah. Great. Uh, cool brands are lame as hell, but, you know, we respect the grift. He says of his brand strategy, if you look at any corporate accounts, all of them are pretty boring. That is not something people really engage with. That's more content people will be reading but not talking about. I mean, okay, that's kind of bullshit considering how many brands have been doing this exact same thing on Twitter for years now, but okay. Yeah, this guy, uh, and there's a pattern that emerges in this article. I think he genuinely believes he's the first person to think of this. Even though he's regularly beefing with Wendy on Twitter all the time, and Wendy's obviously the uh, yeah, the original. I think the, the thing here is that he thinks that they ha the other brands just haven't gone far enough. Or his bosses think he invented something new, and, well, what they don't know can't hurt him. I don't understand, because the boss is chief marketing of the world, Ty Lopez, who has clearly made an entire empire out true. of uh, selling false hopes, yeah. among other things. Anyway, this dude also says that a whole team of people <laughs> workshops Radio Shack's tweets, which is fucking ridiculous, considering the actual content of the tweets. Uh, here's some more on what goes into this very, you know, high-skilled job. While Zupor says he doesn't want to share the formula he's developed for the brand, he does allow that at Radio Shack starts off the day with a good morning tweet followed by a twist, and an hour or two after that, another tweet that sets the theme of the day. Quote, all of them have to be something people will be surprised about, he says. The more surprised people are, the more engagement it's going to get, as long as the tweet is good and doesn't offend anyone directly. Mm. Zupor says that one no-go area is politics. We don't want to turn people against each other because of something we've said, he says. Okay. Uh, he also says the squirters tweet got hidden by Twitter and it also got him temporarily locked out of his account. Uh, this is, again, it's all very lame. I mean, we do have to give this guy credit for realizing that Radio Shack's previous strategy of only tweeting about crypto stuff was unappealing to most people on Twitter. Still, even though he claims this new strategy has increased Radio Shack's sales, he's not doing anything especially original here. So... It's very funny how this guy is acting like this has never been done before. Uh, listen to what he says at the end of the article. It's definitely a great case study, both for us and others, about how you can really make an impression on people. On social media, if you're a brand, you're not going to achieve something unless you are going to take risks and do something that no other brand has ever done in the past. There are a lot of different takeaways. I would ask about the idea of making deep research on this to someone at, like, Harvard. Yeah, I'm sure they're right on, right going to be on top of this. Yeah. Stop, uh, stop whatever you're doing. We got a shit poster over here. Th this is so unoriginal that we lived through it. It's like he, brands do random shit in order to boost numbers that never, in a majority of cases, translates into anything meaningful for what the brand actually does. Yeah. It's like... Is Steakums selling more uh, shitty frozen steak strips now than they were before? Uh, maybe, but I, I can't imagine that it's like significant enough to, to really like throw a brand yeah. into such a, a weird spiral. It's like Machinima used to just steal videos yeah, that's right. and post them on Twitter. Like, like not just videos, from clips from movies. Yeah. Like, hey, happy 4th of July. Remember Jaws? Hey, remember this? Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, what does that do for the brand? Well, it doesn't matter because every we just week... We the engagement. Yeah, every week the, the team posting. gets paraded up onto the stage in front no, of the entire company. They got 100,000 impressions. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, I mean, like, a million people follow the account. So, like, they are going to see it when they're scrolling. People are that's retweeting it because they like... They're, they're like, look, hey, like that's the scene from uh, Forrest Gump. I like it. Yeah. And it's like, wow, can, can you believe that they're crushing it with these numbers? 
Yeah. And so it's like that. It's like, okay, yeah, Radio Shack definitely got, I'm sure, the highest engagement they've ever got but, by you know, tweeting about squirters. Anything above zero is, is an improvement. So how that translated into sales is, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well... Anyways, crypto winter is, of course, upon us. With prices absolutely crashing. And the great thing about it, other than all the schadenfreude, is that for the first time in years, GPUs are actually available and affordable for people who actually want to use them for their intended purposes. Uh, and it's all thanks to Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies' values being so deflated that mining it is no longer a profitable endeavor. Yes! Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the days of paying exorbitant prices on eBay or camping overnight outside Micro Center seem to finally be over, uh, at least for now. Uh, here's Bloomberg. By one estimate, more than a third of the consumer graphics card market could vanish as crypto enthusiasts abandon the technology. And the products are piling up on eBay's site and other marketplaces. Though Nvidia's suggested retail price for the cards hasn't changed, they're selling for 50% less on secondary markets than they did in recent months. In the past two months, the price of Nvidia's GeForce 3080 model fell from $1,100 in late April to $793 on eBay, according to data from MarkSite. That's good news for gamers who can now get their hands on the hardware without paying a massive premium or waiting in long lines outside electronics stores. With less crypto demand, speculators have also withdrawn from the market, industry researcher John Petty said. And the mining market is unlikely to stage a comeback soon. Instead of using computers to generate Ethereum tokens, the technology is shifting to a bidding process. New allotments will be given to those who put up some of their existing holdings as collateral. So yeah, and The Verge dug deeper into this with an article comparing the average eBay prices of various highly sought after video cards over the past couple months. And the, the differences are absolutely wild. If you bought a graphics card two months ago, buddy, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, in June, an NVIDIA RTX 3090 Ti was selling for $540 less than the suggested retail price. An RTX 3090 was going for more than 60% less than it was going for back in January. Uh, $1,033 compared to $2,609. So not only are brand new GPUs back on shelves, but the used market is very much a buyer's market. Yeah. Uh, of course, there's also a lot of concerns about whether GPUs that have been previously used for mining are going to be more prone to failure. Uh, but most of the expert opinions on this, that I've seen at least, indicates that those concerns are mostly overblown and that a GPU previously used to game is going to be about as reliable as a GPU that was previously used to mine crypto. So, gamers, it's time to rise up, finally upgrade that rig after all these years of waiting. Yeah, I will say if, if, if you did buy one a couple months ago, it's like, you know, at least you're less screwed with this than buying uh, some crypto. Because yeah. at least you have something... You have a tangible, tangible, a fungible asset. Yeah, and it actually serves a purpose. It, yeah. uh, you know, is part of a necessary part of your computer system. Yeah. So, uh, not all is lost, in, uh, unlike in a lot of cases. It's just been so delightful. It's people on social media, like, just like posting a picture from their local electronics store with like just a wall of Feels GPUs. Feels good, Like, oh my God, America's back. It's a shame Fry's isn't around anymore. I know. God, and it's just sitting there. Take the tarps down. Open this store back up. I want to see that UFO again. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Uh, now, we do have a few more dumb crypto stories to get to, but first, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, 
and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Choose from at least 55 weekly options featuring pre-portioned, high-quality ingredients picked at peak ripeness. HelloFresh delivers fresh, quality produce from the farm to your door in less than a week, so you can savor summer flavors right from home. Select meals from the Taste of Summer series that are sure to become everybody's new favorites, like the Old Bay Shrimp and Sausage Boil mm. and family-style grilled steak lettuce wraps. And also, maybe bust out the grill on a nice warm evening to make dinner from HelloFresh's cookout collection with recipes like melty Monterey Jack burgers. One of our favorite things about HelloFresh is getting to choose meals that are quick and easy to make, with some coming in at just 15 minutes and still being totally delicious. Go to HelloFresh.com Newsday16 and use code Newsday16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that is up to 16 free meals and three free gifts by going to HelloFresh.com Newsday16 and using our code Newsday16. And this episode is sponsored by Raycon, makers of great wireless earbuds for whatever it is you're listening to. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge. Trust me. Raycons offer three sound profiles to match what you're listening to, plus noise isolation and awareness mode, so you can choose to be immersed in sound or be able to hear your surroundings when you need to. Which is uh, important, especially if you're going for a jog in public yeah. and uh, you need to hear cars and other things. Uh, I rarely leave the house without my Raycons. In fact, I usually keep them in the car. Uh, whether it's walking around the neighborhood or going, even going shopping, uh, my podcasts and my music are always just a tap away, and I never have to worry about the battery life. Uh, Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Then, when you need to charge, it's super easy. You can even do it wirelessly. And this is a huge selling point. With Raycons, you get the same quality audio as other premium audio brands, but at half the price. Yes, really. But that doesn't mean these won't last. These things are built tough and built to last. It's no wonder Raycons Everyday Earbuds have over 49,000 five-star reviews. Check out Raycon's wireless earbuds. My guess is you're going to want to leave them a five-star review, too. So go to buyraycon.com newsday today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That is buyraycon.com newsday to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com newsday. All right, back into the news now. And yeah, while crypto and NFTs are definitely... <laughs> Not doing so Ooh. hot these days. Uh, there are still plenty of people who are in it for the long haul, whether for legitimate reasons or just to keep the scams going or they are pot committed. Yeah. They, uh, well, if I sell, that's when I really lose. That's, then I realize my losses. Uh, on the scam side of things, hackers love stealing and repurposing large verified social media accounts to fool as many rubes as possible. But recently, some hackers managed to take over the Twitter and YouTube accounts belonging to the British Army. <laughs> Here's oh, the British. <laughs> Hackers hijacked the British Army's Twitter page, swapping out the organization's profile picture, bio, and cover photo to make it seem like it was associated with the possessed NFT collection. The account sent out various retweets for NFT giveaways, and its pinned tweet linked users to a fake NFT minting website. Bad actors also stripped the British Army's YouTube channel, deleting all of its videos, as well as changing its name and profile picture to resemble the legit investment firm ARK Invest. Hackers replaced the British Army's videos with a series of old live streams featuring former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and Tesla CEO Elon Musk. These live streams were previously aired as part of the B Word conference held by ARK Invest last June, but hackers added an overlay that encouraged users to participate in a crypto scam. The channel aired four live streams at once, with some of them racking up thousands of viewers. Uh, it's unclear how many people ended up getting scammed here, but falling victim to these scams would involve not noticing that the NFT Twitter account inspecting your wallet has the handle 
at British Army, and also that Elon Musk is simultaneously appearing on four different live streams at once. So uh, you'd, you'd have to be pretty dumb to fall for this. But uh, this kind of thing wouldn't keep happening if it didn't yield results. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the world of NFTs uh, that aren't primarily meant to be scams, the evidence that this craze is basically over continues to mount. Yeah, so Chevrolet, the all-American car company, recently tried to get into the NFT game at uh, you know the worst possible time, but they had they actually produced a very enticing offer, mm. maybe the most enticing NFT offering I've seen. Not only would bidders be vying for this pretty cool cyberpunk-inspired drawing of a Corvette just tearing down the street, uh, the NFT also comes with a real-life Corvette Z06 in an exclusive, one-of-a-kind lime green paint job. That's an actual fungible product to go with the non-fungible token associated with the image. So mm. you would think that even in the midst of crypto winter, someone would want to get in on this. But alas, uh, here's The Verge again. The auction was held from June 20th to 24th. Super Rare, the NFT marketplace that oversaw the auction, tweeted on June 24th that it would reopen bids for 24 hours because some users missed the window. Oh. But apparently that didn't work. The auction closed yet again with zero bids. Basically, they pulled a Morbius. <laughs> Uh, Trevor Tompkins, a spokesperson for Chevy, shrugged off the disappointment in a statement to Corvette Blogger. Our first step into Web3 has been educational, and we will continue to explore ways to leverage technology to benefit our customers, Tompkins said. Of course, the real loser in this story isn't Chevy, which will no doubt move on from the experience a little older and a little wiser about the volatility of Web3. The real loser is Donors Choose, an education charity which was designated by Chevy as the beneficiary of the auction. Sorry, guys. We uh, we got nothing for you. But hey, good effort all around. And lesson learned. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the terms of the auction stated that the physical Corvette would not be built un until someone successfully bid on it. So that Corvette just simply will never exist. Mm. And speaking of Web3 products that will never exist, a Web3 video game console called the Polium One will almost certainly never exist, despite its creators marketing it as something real that's coming soon and not just total vaporware. Yeah, for starters, Web3 gaming has been pretty roundly rejected at this point by actual gamers. The one Web3 game that could be called any sort of success, Axie Infinity, has basically collapsed in recent months and even its most active players say that they only played it to make money and not actually have any fun. <laughs> uh, in Axie Infinity, it didn't require players to own an entire separate console to play it. By the way, did you see that they got hacked because uh, someone on the oh, yeah, team they, like a downloaded a... Trojan PDF or something? Yeah, so they, yeah, they got hacked like six months ago or so, and it was because the North North Korean agents uh, created a fake like LinkedIn profile and offered the developers of Axie Infinity like a better job somewhere else mm. for like double the salary, and they're like, just open this PDF with more info on it, and the go. PDF just pff, stole all their money. But yeah, that, at least that game you didn't have to have an entire separate console to play it. Uh, so. Uh, Web3 console, what the hell, what What could that be? What could that look like? It's a collection of buzzwords is what it yeah. is. But uh, Polium's website does not really provide much in the way of answers. And why should they? Yeah, uh, there's some renderings of what the console and controller look like, I guess. And they, they say it'll have 4K Ultra HD, some sort of fingerprint scanner, which they originally called Touch ID, but that's an Apple trademark, so that... That's been amended. Mm -hmm. uh, ray tracing, wow. And also up to 120 frames per second. Wow, that's uh, that's a console. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for specs. You get it. It'll have hardware in there that do those things. Did you see that it has the uh, quick uh, quick wallet launch? 
It oh, has like yeah. a button so you can launch your wallet as fast as humanly possible. Yeah, that's what the thing that because people... when an inspector comes by, you don't want to hold them up. That's the one thing holding crypto back is people can't open their wallets fast enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Polyums uh, they have a medium page for some reason, which goes into slightly more detail about what this all even is, but uh, it it's still not really helpful at all. Here you go. Polyum is building the world's first multi-chain gaming console. The console will be built by the community. What does that mean? It will be capable of running games that are built on different blockchains. Okay, so can a computer. Uh, users will be able to play games that are on Immutable X, Solana, Ethereum, Polygon, BNB, EOS, Wax, and Harmony without needing to switch networks. The console will be powerful enough to run high-performance games and will be easy to use for a traditional gamer who doesn't understand Web3. Not only will this solve a problem, but it will also bring mass adoption into the Web3 space. Mm, yeah, that's very doubtful. Your your business plan is flawed. Your so your idea is not to not to market to Web3 people who are already you know pot committed to this, but you you think this is going to appeal to people who have somehow managed to avoid Web3 this whole time. What's going to get them into it is a a console, a game so good, so undeniably playable that you have to embrace this all new technology with this specific console on mm, whatever blockchain they decide to put it on. Yeah, who cares? We yeah. got them all. We got yeah, all the it doesn't matter. We have all of them. It's multi-chain. Yeah, this is like a Raspberry Pi, but for uh, crypto. Yeah. Oh, and also you'll be able to buy and sell NFTs on this. Of course. Of course. It's another thing you can kind of do just as easily on your computer or phone, but now instant with that fingerprint. Mm -hmm. Boom. Ape's gone immediately. <laughs> Uh, and as for when this is coming out, uh, the answer is, of course, never. But officially, they say it's coming in Q3 2024, so a little over two years from now. Just enough time to secure lots of funding from uh, investors who are duped by this. Yeah, once the once it fully bottoms out and things appear to be back on the upswing. Uh, so, but like they clearly have done no, no work on this aside from like a PDF of like what their wish list. And a like, pre-rendered like... Why announce this right now of all times? Why yeah. not? It's a pre-rendered console with just a logo slapped on it. Yeah. And you would think like, oh, they're releasing this right now so they can get Rubes to place pre-orders, but they haven't started taking pre-orders. They say they will though, but they say they're going to start taking pre-orders before the hardware is even finalized so that the community can like well, it's going to be built Dis by the community. Discuss what it should be. Because um, yeah. as we all know, things that are built by committee are, always end up perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The homer. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, asking, you know, taking pre-orders for something that's uh, not even finalized in the design side of things, that's always a great sign for a product that's made by a company with no previous track record of releasing any products. Um, the, uh, this Web3 console, by the way, it also has a blender attached to it and a Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. Uh, you're going to take it to the beach. Oh, wow. If you can fit an umbrella in there. Um, yeah. It goes where you want to go. The coolest console. <laughs> <laughs> it does it all. Oh, wow. Uh, unsurprisingly, it doesn't look like the console has much interest. And so far, discussions about it have uh, mainly been about how their logo is a total ripoff of the Nintendo GameCube logo, which they, of course, denied. But then they quickly came up with a new logo with similar geometry, but significantly shittier looking. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like that, but we're going to change it. Thanks. Yeah. This is what building by committee means. Thank you for participating in our experiment. Basically, any, if, enough, if enough of you yell at us about anything, we'll we'll take action on mm -hmm. it. Anyways, this is a beautiful combination of two of our favorite things, crypto bullshit and Kickstarter bullshit. And we look forward to hearing more about the Polonium One. Or Polo, Pol, <laughs> That's polium. another thing. The name is literally... Polium. 
Polonium, I, I keep reading it as polonium, which yeah. is like the fucking radioactive isotope that uh, the Russian government uses to like assassinate dissidents. Yeah. Uh, great name. Polium one. Get that uh, yeah. polonium directly into my veins. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's our episode. Um, yeah. Looking forward to that console. But uh, if you missed our previous episode about uh, July 4th and how uh, fucking terrible it was, even by American standards. Yeah. Um, we got that over there. And then for something a little more lighthearted, uh, we got an episode about how former President Donald Trump, too girthy to have uh, actually lunch for the wheel. Yeah, it's a good excuse. It's a better excuse than the bone spurs. The president don't fit, you can't convict. <laughs> exactly. So check out both of those videos over there. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the join button. Do whatever it is you want to do. And uh, we'll see you soon for some weird news. Bye-bye.